hello, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Nick Haran. I run the Academic Success Program at Northeastern School of Law. Uh, before I was in this role, I was uh, in charge of Boston University's um, uh, bar exam prep program. Uh, so <clears throat> today, um, we're going to be talking about strategies for the bar exam and uh, specifically the MBE and the MPT, which are components of the uniform bar exam. Very happy to be here. I, uh, I'm a member of the Boston Bar Association. I've come to uh, many of these webinars myself as a student, and I've uh, benefited from them. So happy to uh, pay it back. Um, okay, so let's get started. I'll just skip over that first one. So if everyone could just give me a sense of why you decided to join this uh, webinar today, what do you hope to learn? Um, I think it's helpful just to get a sense of who's in the room, why you're here, and then maybe I can kind of tailor some of my instruction to maybe answer some of your uh, some of your questions directly. So if you could just take a few moments to think about that and put it in the Q&A or the chat. Great. Okay. So just trying to get, get a sense of the timing where I am now um, and where should I be? Uh, just getting as many strategies as possible. Um, just hoping to learn more strategies about the MPT and the essays, what the bar examiners are looking for. All very helpful uh, uh, things to know. Thank you very much. All right. Um, so I will address certainly all those things uh, as, as we get going here, but here's just a kind of an overview of what we're going to be discussing today. It's a lot to get through, so I'm going to be moving pretty quickly. But the first is more general strategies on how to approach, uh, in this case, the February bar exam, but you can use it for the July bar exam as well. Um, different uh, mem uh, techniques for memorizing, which are, are particularly, it's a useful skill for the MBE, which uh, requires a lot of memorization of a lot of rules. And then a step-by-step -step process or approach for any kind of multiple choice question, but in particular, the MBE style multiple choice question. And similarly, a step-by-step -step approach for the MPT style question. Um, so, the goal for you today is really just to get one or two ideas here, right? I'm going to be moving quickly. I'm going to be touching on a lot of things. Uh, if you can remember one or two things I said today and try to incorporate them in your practice, I think that is uh, uh, sort of a, a good goal for everyone to hit. Uh, as uh, was said in the beginning, these slides will be shared. Don't feel like you have to uh, take uh, sort of detailed notes. Um, and I'm uh, available uh, by email, happy to answer any questions. So the part one is just how to kind of think about the bar exam, how to approach it more strategically. So you may know this already, but if you don't, this is, uh, I think, a good slide to be aware of. So the UBE has three components, the multi-state bar exam, all the multiple choice questions. It's uh, you know, 200 multiple choice questions over uh, two sessions. The uh, multi-state SE exam, sort of short 30-minute uh, essay questions, and then the multi-state performance test. So 
we're going to be discussing the, yeah, obviously the MBE and the MPT, but if you're thinking about how to structure your time, uh, I think it's helpful to recognize how each one of these components are weighted to, uh, as re uh, relevant to your overall bar exam score. The MBE is by far the one that counts the most. So you want to spend most of your time preparing for that particular test. Uh, the topics that are tested on the MBE are also tested on the MEE. So uh, you'd be wise to kind of focus on that. And conversely, the MPT is only 20% of your overall score. It doesn't require memorization. It requires more practice uh, than memorization. Um, so, you know, spend spending less time preparing for the MPT, uh, it probably makes sense. But, you know, each of these tests test different things. So if you recognize that you, you know, need a, a lot of, uh, you need to do a lot of work, a lot of learning on your writing and an essay, you know, maybe you skew your preparation towards the MEE or MPT, you know, a little bit more than these percentages would indicate. So deliberate practice is a, a concept from uh, uh, educational psychology. You can look it up to learn more about it. Uh, essentially, it is the fastest way to improve any skill that you're trying to improve. And certainly the bar exam uh, tests a, a certain skill set, right? This is this is what 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 they're doing, um, what they want to evaluate you on. Um, and it essentially, you know, the way to think uh, about deliberate practice is like going to the gym, right? You could go to the gym and you could kind of just uh, poke around at some of the different machines and, you know, see which machines uh, are available. Uh, you know, maybe you work on uh, whatever your, you know, biceps or, or, or your back and then you call, call it a day and, you know, the next day you show up, it's another sort of random assortment of exercises, right? And so on and so forth. And that gives you a little bit of, of benefit. But if you approach it more deliberately, right, if you're like today, I'm going to, you know, focus on this muscle group, I'm going to record how much weight I lift. I'm going to sort of think about how uh, I feel afterwards, whether it was too hard, too easy. Um, and then the next time I come back, I'm going to do that same muscle group, but compare it to what I just recorded beforehand uh, to sort of start at that same weight uh, or, or maybe less or maybe more. Uh, and that way you sort of you optimize your, your physical fitness, right? It, the idea is to represent it here in this chart. Um, you want to practice something, get feedback on it and then refine your process and repeat that cycle as many times as you can. Um, and so, you know, as this applies to the, uh, the MBE, um, you know, our, I guess an example of doing this type of strategy would be, are you consistently using the same type of approach every time you take a multiple choice question? Are you just sort of randomly, you know, answering it uh, or inconsistently answering it? Right. Are you practicing under time conditions like you are will be required to uh, perform on the bar exam or not? Are you randomizing the, the, the subjects that you see or all just focusing on the same subject uh, matter? Right. Are you sort of making it easy, a little bit too easy for you, giving yourself um, sort of a, a false sense of security about what the MBE is actually going to be like? And, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Um, so. This is a, a sort of a handy template um, to uh, make your own. Uh, this helps you to track your performance in practice tests. 
you can see the criteria here. Um, so, you know, you want to record when you did certain questions, what the topic was, and if uh, the and if you got the answer incorrect after you reviewed your answers, the sample answers, taking some time to think about why you got that answer incorrect. Um, so, for instance, if you misapplied the rules, you know, that's an and you're doing that consistently, that's an indication to you that you may need to have a more methodical approach to each one of these questions. You know, if you misread the facts and you're doing that over and over again, you know, you need to focus on reading comprehension and slowing down and taking your time. Um, so then memorization, let's talk about memorization because memorization is, like I said, a big part of the bar exam. The MBE covers uh, a lot of different topics. Um, and, you know, I think everyone uh, over the years, uh, you know, up and through law school has kind of developed their own uh, techniques for, for memorization and how they like to do it. Um, but there's actually some science behind memorization and, and how to optimize that, right? So there was an experiment in 2011 uh, where they had uh, three students um, and each one was asked to read a, a short passage and um, uh, using a different study method. The first student spends five minutes reading the passage and then they're done. Uh, the next student uh, spends five minutes reading, then takes a short break, then rereads the passage. They do this two more times for a total of three times, or sorry, four times. And then the third student spends five minutes reading the passage. Uh, then they uh, put that text away and spend 10 minutes writing down everything they can remember on a blank piece of paper. Uh, they then, um, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, they repeat the strategy um, and read the passage again for five minutes, spend another 10 minutes writing it down, what, uh, what they remembered on a blank piece of paper. Students were then asked um, you know, what they remembered uh, from the passage. Right. So which one do you think worked most effectively uh, by uh, by a wide margin? Uh, student three who uh, uh, took this approach was uh, remembered more and remembered more of it for a longer period of time. Right. Um, and what they were doing is something called a recall exercise. Um, and, you know, this this is a exercise that can be practiced and this is a skill that can be learned and in, improved. Right. So if the goal is to remember lots of things uh, over a long period of time, which your goal is for the bar exam, really recall exercises are one of the most effective strategies you can use. Um, so, you know, I think the key is. Uh, to doing this is, you know, kind of thinking about the difference between a recall exercise and a flashcard. So a recall exercise requires you to commit to an answer in writing, right? You sort of give yourself a question prompt, you think about what the answer might be, then you write down that answer. Then you compare what you wrote down to the sample or to the, to the textbook, right? And in that way, you really keep yourself accountable. Uh, you really can tell, uh, you know, whether or not you know the material cold, uh, what you are confused about. Um, and so it really does help to focus your attention on, you know, the, 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 the gaps in your knowledge, right? And unlike a flashcard where you just look at the question prompt, think about it for a minute, flip it over, look at the answer, 
And, you know, whether you got it accurate or not, you kind of give yourself a pass, right? You're like, yeah, okay, I kind of recognize that. And if I, you know, had more time, I would have gotten it right, right? It's just, it's a, it's a it, it takes longer, obviously, to do this type of exercise than it does flashcards. Um, but the, the benefits are, are, I think, worth the investment in your time. So what do you, I think, you know, when you're talking about memorizing and the MBE, you know, sort of like, okay, what should I be memorizing? Because there's no way anyone can memorize all that text in those subject matter outlines that your bar review companies give you. It's just far too much information, right? And so in reality, you really need to focus on the highly tested rules, right? These are the rules that count for the most. You get the biggest bang for your buck if you remember them. Right. They're represented here in this chart, um, which is which was made by JD Advising. Um, and, you know, so that that's an indication to you that, you know, hey, I should uh, I should be aware of what the highly tested topics are and uh, focus on getting those down um, and then, you know, spend less time on the topics that are uh, not tested as frequently. Right. And then. Within those topics, you, again, don't need to memorize every single word. What you do need to memorize are the keywords within those rule statements, right? So those keywords will help you to sort of uh, think about uh, the, the topic and then the legal issues or the, the, the common questions that are associated with that topic. So let's kind of look at an example here, right? So this is a chart of uh, criminal law homicide. Um, I uh, so put this together. As you can see, it's uh, divided up into two main categories, murder and manslaughter. Uh, murder has uh, the quality of malice. Uh, manslaughter does not. And there are four types of murder, premeditated murder, felony murder, intent to inflict serious bodily harm causing death, uh, and depraved heart murder. Then there's really, uh, you know, however you want to count, two or five different types of manslaughter, um, sort of uh, voluntary manslaughter, sort of heat of passion killing, imperfect self-defense, when someone um, sort of unreasonably kills someone else thinking they were under lethal threat, uh, and then involuntary manslaughter, which is an accidental killing, uh, either a negligent manslaughter or a vehicular homicide or misdemeanor manslaughter. Okay, so, uh, you know, there's more to say about uh, each one of these, obviously. There's uh, definitions that are associated with each one of them, but these, this chart I have here on this slide kind of represents the key words um, that you need to memorize uh, for for homicide. And so this this is the subject matter of your uh, sort of recall exercises, right? Um, and you know this is recall is not the only way to do this, right? There's uh, I think you know something to to recognize in this slide as well is how I have this information arranged, right? It's not necessarily just in a, a bulleted list. Um, I have it in this chart so that uh, the relationships are, uh, sort of represented in how, uh, you know, each each um, type of homicide uh, is sort of categorized. Um, and then uh, you could also use it on, under a, a sort of similar theory, right, trying to group uh, the same types of information together. Mnemonic devices are very helpful. 
This is an example of a mnemonic device for the um, the underlying felonies that you need to prove in order to establish that there was a felony murder. Um, so burglary, arson, rape, robbery, kidnapping, or bark. Okay, so what are, we've just talked about all that. And so I want to give you an opportunity to sort of exercise this, exercise this idea of, of, of recall, right? So what are the four types of murder? Do you remember? If you do, please write them down in the Q&A. Right. So um, just for sake of time, the four types are intent to kill, felony murder, intent to commit serious bodily harm, and depraved heart murder. All right. So then let's move on to the step-by-step -step approach I mentioned earlier. Here's the five-step method. Um, the first is sort of, you know, read the question prompt. And by that, I mean, um, every multiple choice question has three components to it. It has a, on the MBE, it has a fact pattern. Um, and then following the fact pattern, there is a question prompt and the question prompt, uh, you know, says something along the lines of, you know, um, we, you know, was, uh, was there a contract formed in this case? Um, or, you know, did, uh, the statute of limitations, uh, run, um, so on and so forth. Um, and then following the question prompt, there are the answer choices. So three, three components, fact pattern, uh, question prompt, answer choices, uh, sort of intuitively, most students start by reading the facts and you actually get more information from reading the question prompt and, and the answer choices first, because it frames for you what this question is about. It gets you thinking about uh, you know, that topic, the, sub, the rules and sub rules within that topic, and then the legal issues that commonly uh, arise under those rules and sub rules. So it just gives you uh, just that context that I think is helpful to analyze the facts. And then you read the facts. Um, and uh, uh, with that knowledge in mind, sort of uh, with an idea of what you're looking for before you start reading. Uh, then you want to uh, go through the answer choices and eliminate any wrong answer choices, any answer choices that you know cannot possibly be right uh, because they either misstate the law, they, um, they talk about facts not in the fact pattern, and there's some flaw uh, within uh, the the statement that you, you just know uh, that can't be the right answer choice. And hopefully you've uh, sort of eliminated one or two answer choices, giving yourself a better shot at uh, sort of uh, selecting the right answer, right? So if you've done this uh, and maybe eliminated two answer choices, now you've increased your odds of getting the answer correct to like a 50-50 shot as opposed to um, you know, not having done that, and you only have a 25% chance of getting the answer correct. But then it's also important to know that you want to select the best answer choice, not just, um, you know, the, 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 the answer choice that is technically correct, meaning sometimes you have to select among uh, the best of a bad set of answers, or choose from among two answers that are both technically correct, but one has qualities that make it um, you know, uh, better than the other, whether it's, um, you know, uh, the answer choice is more closely aligned 
to what the question is asking for, or uh, the answer choice has a, a better rationale. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, what, what that looks like. And then the last step is to move on. And by that, I mean, no second guessing, keep to your time limit and uh, don't, um, you know, sort of circle an answer, uh, move on to the to the uh, next question or circle the question, move on to the next question with the idea that once you complete, you know, that question set, you'll return to that first question that you sort of didn't know how to answer. That is an inefficient strategy. Uh, it, it, it causes you to be distracted, to think about um, the, the previous answer and not focus on the current question you're, you're, you're trying to analyze. Um, so stick to your uh, time limit, select the best answer you can, and forget it. Move on to the next question. So let's talk a little bit about each one of those steps using a sample question. So here's the sample question. Uh, a man's mother has lived with him for 20 years, and for the past several months, she's been suffering from terminal cancer. Tired of her constant demands, the man begins to add a small amount of poison to his mother's liquid medication each day. When the mother dies, the medical examiner determines that the cancer would have killed her within a few days, but that her death was hastened by the poison. If the man is prosecuted for murder, what should the result be? A, the man should be convicted because his actions showed a depraved indifference to the value of human life. B, the man should be acquitted because his mother was ill and in pain. C, the man should be acquitted because his mother would have uh, died almost immediately from cancer. Or D, the man should be acquitted because the man's actions alone uh, would not have caused the death. So why don't you just take a, just a few minutes, not worrying about that strategy that I just talked about, and just sort of think about this question and think about how you would answer it. All right. So the answer is A, uh, this is murder. Um, he was using poison, right? Uh, that is a, a lethal weapon. Um, if there was an intent to kill, uh, it, it, there is certainly an indifference to the grave consequences of giving someone poison on a daily basis. Yes, she uh, would have died, but um, uh, the poison hastened the death, right? It, it sort of, uh, uh, that was the the cause of death. It was poison, not cancer. Um, so think of someone, you know, jumping off a building in the Empire State Building, and but before they uh, hit the ground, uh, someone shoots them, all right? That still counts as murder, um, even though that person was plummeting to their death, right? So here, uh, the answer choices, uh, A, B, and C, all say acquit. Right. Um, so if you sort of done the analysis already before you even reach the answer choices, you kind of know what you're looking for in the answer choices. The only valid answer choice left 
is that uh, the man should be convicted, right? But let's let's go back and kind of you know uh, do this question a bit more methodically using that method I described earlier, right? So um, if instead of reading the facts like I did first, you begin with the question prompt and you and you look at it and, you, and it says in the question prompt, if the man is prosecuted for murder, what should the result be, right? So murder, murder is the key word here, right? And remember on the MBE topics will be random. You won't know that you're in uh, sort of the criminal law section. Right. You may uh, like the previous two questions may have been about property or contracts. Right. So you read this question prompt murder. Your mind then sort of uh, focuses on the doctrine for murder. Um, and then uh, the next question you should be thinking about in your mind is sort of like what are sort of the common uh, um, questions that often pop up when I'm trying to think about whether or not someone committed murder. And those questions look something like this, right? If, if you're trying to determine whether or not someone committed murder, the first thing you want to think about is, hey, did the defendant actually cause the victim's death or not? Was there a causational uh, sort of element that's been satisfied here, right? Uh, you can't have um, a sort of murder without that. Um, so then the next thing is, hey, if the killing was intentional, uh, and we know that from the previous slide, that I were of, of the chart of murder um, and, and homicide, that really there's only one type of intentional homicide murder, which is premeditated murder. Um, but if it, if it was intentional, was there uh, any mitigating circumstances that might have shifted the, um, the charge from murder into manslaughter, right? And uh, if that would be the case, um, you know, uh, you would want to think about what uh, types of manslaughter might be implicated. But again, this is this is um, we're talking about murder here. So there's different types of murder. There's the one which is premeditated murder, but there's also unintentional murder. Right. And uh, these uh, different types of unintentional murders are what I have uh, sort of represented as questions in these bullet points uh, on this on the slide. So all we've done at this point is we've read the question prompt and now we're already thinking about these questions. We already have these questions in our mind and now we begin to read the facts. And when we're looking at the facts, we're, we're again, having uh, this sort of framework, uh, we're looking to see whether or not these facts line up with one of those four types of murder crimes, right? Um, so to do that, you really want to try to identify the relevant facts or separate the relevant from the irrelevant facts. And so what I have done here on this slide is uh, highlighted the relevant facts in green. The rest of the facts are, are really irrelevant. You can exclude them uh, and still analyze this question. So if you were to do that, um, it would look something like this, right? A man's mother has terminal cancer. Uh, he begins to add a small amount of poison to his mother's liquid. The mother dies. Her death was hastened by the poison, right? That's all the facts we need to answer this question. Um, but to do that, uh, you know, obviously I'm doing this very quickly. Uh, when you're, you know, in, in the bar exam and the pressure's on, I think the tendency is to read quickly um, and to get through the, the facts as quickly as you can. And you want to practice now slowing down reading very carefully, slowly, deliberately. Again, 
uh, hopefully with some idea of what you're looking for in the facts before you start reading them. Um, so the next step, once we've we've done that, we've sort of analyzed the facts, we want to eliminate any wrong answers. And in this example, uh, we've already reached the conclusion that this is murder and you should be convicted for murder. So the, you know, B, C, and D all include the word acquitted. Those can't be correct answers. It must be uh, A, and I don't even care what the rationale is because that's the only one it could possibly be. But if we change the answer choices around here, which is what I've done in this slide, right? Um, it becomes a, a little harder, right? This, so you, you know, if you don't, if you have this sort of format, where only two of the answer choices can be eliminated because they include the word acquitted, C and D in this example, that means you're left with choosing between A and B, uh, which both say the man should be acquitted. So now you have to evaluate the rationale for each one of those. Um, and so which rationale do you choose? Which one do the bar examiners think is uh, superior to the other? Um, so uh, usually, when a rationale provides a legal justification, that is when the rationale uses some of those key words from those rule statements, um, as opposed to a rationale that is based on a description of what occurred factually, like is what uh, I have um, written here for A, right? He hastened the death of his mother. Um, that's a key fact. But that is not as strong as the reason uh, why he should be convicted, which is that his actions showed a depraved indifference to the value of human life. That is sort of like the key reason why the man should be convicted, right? So if I'm choosing between those two, I know he should be convicted. I don't know which answer choice is best. Legal rationale superior to factual rationale. Or if you have two rationales that are both um, that are both legal in nature, right? So imagine another answer choice, which says, um, uh, A, the man should be convicted because he committed murder, uh, or B, the man should be convicted because his actions showed a depraved indifference to the value of human life. B is superior, right? B is a more full statement of the legal standard. A is, uh, just, uh, too vague and, and, and generalized. All right, so the last step, step five, moving on, you have um, 1.8 minutes per MBE question. You know, sometimes they'll answer questions faster than that, so, but um, you know that is the limit. So you don't want to ever exceed that limit. Um, as I said, it's just, it doesn't uh, give you any advantages to kind of skip around, uh, leave questions for the end. Um, and mainly because again, you're, you're thinking about that previous question. You're not thinking about, um, the, the current question that you should be really focused on. Um, and, uh, you know, spending too much time agonizing over one question, for instance, you know, maybe you spend five minutes on one question that just means that you've reduced the amount of time you have to answer any subsequent questions. Just do the best you can. Select the best answer. If you have to guess, guess, just move on. All right, so here again is that five-step method. Read the question prompt, read the fact pattern, eliminate wrong answer choices, select the best answer choice, and then move on. All right, um, so let me quick take a uh, look at the Q&A in the chat. 
sorry, there's one who wants to go back to a slide. Um, could you just describe what slide you were referring to? Stacy? Maybe I can just talk about it. Okay, she's all set. Great. Um, okay, so let's now talk about um, the, actually this should be the MPT. Um, that was a, a typo, we're talking about the MPT now, right? So uh, this is just basic sort of uh, a basic description of what the M MPT is. Um, it contains uh, three uh, documents essentially. Uh, the first is the task memo, which provides the instructions to, uh, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, an example would be, you know, you have to write a letter to a client explaining uh, the client's um, sort of uh, legal um, situation. Or you have to draft a statement of facts. You have to uh, draft a plan for discovery. Uh, so on and so forth. All these tasks are the uh, tasks that are commonly asked of first year lawyers. Um, so, you know, the bar exam wants to know that you kind of can, uh, you have some skill in doing some of those tasks. It, the MPT does not require you to um, bring any outside knowledge into the MPT. They will give you all the information you need um, it's really just a test of your sort of writing ability, your organization ability, um, your uh, time management ability. Um, and so uh, as you're thinking about preparing for the MPT, you know, uh, practicing different MPTs is really the best experience you can give yourself. So just going back to the other two components of uh, all MPTs, uh, they'll contain a file, which includes all the facts and the evidence you need, and then a library. Um, which has all the law, the, the case law um, and the statutes. All right. Um, so, um, you know, I kind of talked about this already, um, but, you know, the I think a, a rule of thumb that is uh, helpful is to practice one MPT a week uh, for your bar prep period, which is typically 10 weeks or a total of 10 MPTs. And so if you want to do, you know, two MPTs in a weekend um, and, you know, zero the next, uh, that's that's fine too. Uh, you should do all MPTs under simulated conditions. So, you know, under the the 90 minutes that 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 you're given. Um, it's, it's, you have to do a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, it's, it's really important to get a sense of that time so that your internal clock keeps you on pace. Um, okay. So this is a very helpful slide. Um, I recommend you, uh, take this with you, um, because it is, uh, sort of developed by, uh, myself and my colleagues, uh, over a number of years of teaching the MPT. Um, and it breaks down sort of how to attack the MPT into six separate steps, right? I know it's it's a lot of step by steps, right? But um, it's important to think about what you're doing uh, deliberately, uh, at least at the, at the outset, get comfortable with that process. And the more you practice this process, the less you're thinking about each step and the more it just becomes automatic. But now let's just slow down and spell out every sort of analytical and, and thought process uh, one by one. 
All right, so the first step you have here is to unpack what's in the task memo. And you wanna spend no more than five minutes doing this. Uh, the, the goal like uh, for uh, any MPT is at the end, you wanna be able to just establish the headings. Uh, so all MPTs will include sort of a multi-part uh, question. Right. They'll ask you to either analyze three issues or there'll be sort of three components that you have to write about. Um, and uh, at the very beginning, you want to, you know, give yourself a sense of that roadmap. What are the three things I have to do um, and how can I concisely state them? Sometimes they're just given to you, right? So your task is just to kind of copy them right into your, your document that you're starting to write. Um, all right, so five minutes down, you've got uh, your tasks clearly laid out uh, and, and in sequence. The next thing you wanna do is skip the file and go to the library, right? So you wanna spend 50, no more than 15 minutes um, figuring out what legal rules apply to each issue. So you've, you know, uh, from the first step, you established that there's three issues. <clears throat> okay, what's in the library and which rules in the library relate to each one of those three issues? And literally you're, you're retyping the rules directly underneath those, you know, headings that you already wrote from the first step. Then you go to the, the, the file, the facts. And now that you have sort of subdivided each issue into, uh, you know, rules, you want to then tie the facts to each one of those rules you listed in step two, right? Um, and as you do this, you want to just include brief sites as to which document you pulled that fact from. Um, and um, so now you've got this kind of roadmap for yourself, right? It's, a, um, it, it's actually pretty close to you know, what your uh, final answer is going to look like. Uh, then uh, if you can, what you wanna do is go back and think about which one of these cases is gonna be important uh, that, that is provided in the library is gonna be important to the analysis where I really need to uh, dig into that case, um, you know, do a more uh, comprehensive uh, and detailed statement of that, that case holding, and then think about how to compare that case holding or the facts of that case to the facts that are in the file. Um, step five, uh, you wanna spend five minutes just taking a look at what you've written so far making sure it's uh, uh, you know, comprehensive, it includes all the items that you're supposed to include from the task memo, and then you use the remainder of your time to write. So let's go back into a couple of these steps, uh, just to give you a better sense of kind of what you're doing in each one of them. So, you know, in addition to giving you the headings, which is the and, and the, the issue list, which is the most important component of the task memo, um, the task memo will also tell you sort of a few other key things that are important to keep in mind as you're starting to build your your outline um, for for your uh, your answer. Um, so some of those things are described here. Um, you know, is who's the audience who we're writing this for? You know, if it's a lay client, your tone and the detail is going to be, um, you know, maybe 
different than if the audience member was another lawyer who's familiar with the case, who already has some legal knowledge, right? Maybe you can use in, in the latter case, you can probably use some terms of art, some technical terms for a client letter. You know, you want to avoid those things. You want to talk in, in sort of plain English. Um, and, you know, is the, um, is the object of this um, memo that I'm writing, is it going to be objective? Is it going to be just sort of, you know, give me analysis of the issues in, in a neutral way? Or is it going to be, hey, draft a brief, explain to me what the best arguments I can make for the client are, um, you know, depending on uh, whether it's objective or persuasive, you know, you want to structure your answer differently, right? It's the difference between using IRAC or CREAC, if you're familiar with those two uh, acronyms, right? One is issue rule uh, application analysis, that's for objective um, memos, and the other is for persuasive. You start with the conclusion, um, you know. And then uh, you uh, go through the other elements, the rule, the uh, application, and then the conclusion. All right. So then uh, the next uh, step, right? Step two, when you're trying to figure out what, what the rules are. Um, so this uh, is, is hard. Uh, essentially, what you're doing is you are, um, you know, almost like case briefing, right? You almost are um, uh, trying to synthesize um, a complex legal opinion into, um, you know, a single statement. That's hard to do. You've been you've had some practice doing it, um, obviously, because uh, you've all gone through law school. But, um, you know, this this is the, the one that probably, you know, requires uh, the most practice in terms of what level of detail um, is sort of required. Uh, of you, like how detailed does your rule need to be? Uh, calibrating that just takes some trial and error. Um, okay, uh, so then the third step, uh, you're you're listing relevant facts, right? Um, so I think the key thing here is you know you're you're not necessarily um, writing full sentences. It's more like notes, right? It's more like notes to yourself. So you want to be you know, quick, use bullets. Uh, use enough information so that you understand uh, sort of what uh, facts you're using um, uh, and not uh, so vague that you sort of need to go back and uh, hunt for that fact, right? Uh, no need to use Blue Book. You can just sort of use um, any sort of uh, uh, citation you want, just as long as it's clear to the reader where you pulled uh, that fact from. Um, so then the, the case illustration component, right? This is, this is step four. Um, if you, if you want to have a, again, a rule of thumb, um, aiming to have one case analysis, one case comparison in each one of your memos, I think is a good benchmark. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of students get wrapped up thinking that they need to do this sort of type of analysis, this you know detailed case analysis, case comparison for every single legal issue, uh, and then they run out of time. So um, really, if you can get one down, I think I think that's that's a pretty good uh, answer to an MPT. Um, so then the, 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 the writing plan, um, one of the things to bear in mind as you're at, you're on step five is to kind of 
uh, have a rough idea about which issues are going to require the most time to write about. Do some issues have a lot of facts, a lot of rules to go through? Does one issue require a case comparison and others don't? Um, you know, that will give you kind of a, a, a general sense of uh, how to allocate the remainder of your time. Um, so, again, if you've gotten to this point where you kind of have uh, a outline of what you're going to say that includes all the issues, the relevant rules for each one of those issues and some bulleted facts underneath each one of those rules, you're probably pretty close to a passing answer at this point. Um, even if you don't, you know, sort of turn that uh, outline into, you know, paragraphs and full sentences. Um, but as you do that, um, you know, it's important to keep in mind these, these, these structures that I mentioned earlier. Um, and um, here again is the, is the, whole, um, the whole thing all at once. Uh, there was a question in the chat. Um, is there any recommendations for those who are handwriting? Um, and I, you know, again, I think the the key thing there is, is I don't think you need to change deviate too much from the strategy, other than to again practice doing it, right? So um, if you are uh, handwriting your MPTs as you practice, you want to obviously handwrite all the practice answers. Um, and, you know, I don't think the, um, the, the timing of this changes too much. Um, and, you know, if, if it does, I think that will become sort of evident uh, as you start to practice, right? For instance, if you just need uh, more time to complete step six, the, the, you know, to actually draft the document because it just takes you longer to handwrite, you know, it, think about where you can kind of uh, shave some time off the other five steps, right? So maybe you're uh, adhering closer to the, the the minimum time limits here than rather than than the maximum. All right. So uh, I just want to wrap things up uh, just with this sort of general thought, right? That, you know, the bar exam tests a set of skills and like any skill, right? Think about a musical instrument, think about a sport, uh, it can be learned, even if you have no practice in it beforehand, and you can uh, improve with more practice, particularly deliberate practice. You know, all law school graduates uh, have the capacity to pass the bar. Um, so if you sort of put in the work, put in the time, really think strategically about how you spend your time, you can definitely all pass the bar exam. All right. Uh, here's my contact info. Uh, you're more than welcome to reach out to me um, with any questions about uh, sort of any of the things I discussed in today's webinar, um, or if you have uh, related questions to the bar exam, happy to answer them. Uh, that's about all I have. Um, I think we've got a few more minutes. Um, so if there's any questions, uh, feel free to put them in the chat. Otherwise, um, I, uh, like I said, wish you good luck and hope you have a, a, a good weekend. Thanks, Nick. We'll give it a quick second see if any questions come up. Sure.
Beautiful. Seeing none so far, I want to thank all of our attendees and thank you, Nick, as well, for doing this for us today. And as Nick pointed out, you all you all will receive a copy of the slides as well. And with that being said, I'm wishing everyone the best of luck as they continue preparing. Have a good one, everyone. Take care.